Simon, get up, Andrew said, kicking his brother's foot. Simon opened his eyes and kicked Andrew back forcefully in the shin. What is it? He scowled. Ow! Andrew rubbed his shin. We found Messiah. Come on, get up. Come and see. Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderoftheseven.com. On today's episode, we'll bring you Chapter 6 from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key. Plus, later we'll head over to Jenny's Corner and we'll find out how she came up with our newest and most compact co-host. Hi, he's the wee, jolly, all-purpose rodent that's perfect for any occasion. And he's so convenient. With his tiny, mouse-like features, he can hide just about anywhere. Right you are, Liz. Put him in your hat, put him in your pocket. Keep him anywhere around the house. Or take him with you when you travel. Aye, in your car, he'll fit in your glove compartment. Why, he even fits in a glove. And he fits in our show like a hand in a glove. But But wait, wait, there's there's more. more. No, there isn't. What? Sorry. Ah, rats. (laughs) I say, all this fluff and nonsense. Could you possibly be talking about little old me? Well, we ain't talking about Thumbelina. Yes, you, sir. So, now that you've heard from all of our hosts, I might as well attach their names. Here they are, in order of appearance, Max, Liz, and Nigel. Greetings, lads and lasses. Oh, bonjour, mes amis. Uh, Nigel? Um, oh, uh, 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 hello, all. Uh, uh, Mosey, did we catch you off guard there, lad? Sorry, old chap. I'm still a bit new at this, ad-libbing and taking my cues and all that, you know. Oh, Nigel, you're doing just fine. Hey, lad, you're catching on. I mean... Even a nouncer lad caught on. Eventually. Eventually. Well, I do appreciate this vote of confidence from my podcast colleagues. No, lad, I'm not a collie. But I... I'm a Scottish terrier. That's not what I said. I thought you knew that. I do. I... No, Lassie. She be a collie. I misheard. Oh, not this Lassie. Well, I'm not... I am la petite feline. I wasn't referring to... Don't worry, lad. You're still just a wee bit nervous. Actually, I'm just... Happens to the best of us, mon ami. Aye. (laughs) Even a nouncer lad got over his butterflies. I'm... Eventually. Eventually. I'm fine. Oh, dear. Uh, good heavens. Uh, pardon my outburst. I, I say, that, uh, that was highly inappropriate. I do apologize. It's fine, Nigel. We've all been there. I'm trying to tell you I'm not the least bit nervous. Oh, I, I know. I meant, we've all been there with those two giving newbies a hard time. Trust me. Uh, but don't worry. They'll lighten up. When? Eventually. Eventually. Now let's get back to our story by going back, 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 way back. How far back? Oh, let's say about... Uh, 2,000 years, give or take a decade. And you know what that means? To the Iamosphere! Huzzah! That was pretty good, monsieur. Aye, not bad, rookie. Chapter 6. Back in St. Andrew's Day. Gilliman stood in the Iamosphere with Clarie, both taking their respective natural forms of a mountain goat and a lamb. The wind encircled them, blowing Gilliman's goatee around his chin. They were looking at panels of time from long ago. 
I want to show you something before we arrive in Hanover for St. Andrew's Day, Gilliman told Clary, his blue eyes twinkling with delight. It is easy for the humans to forget why they celebrate the way they do, but the Order of the Seven must always understand the layers of history converging at key points in time. He touched his hoof to a panel where John the Baptist stood with two of his followers on the banks of the Jordan River in Israel. They were in a deep discussion. So when Isaiah wrote, The government will be upon his shoulder, he showed that Messiah will be a ruler, John the follower said. That much is clear. Indeed, Isaiah says just a few verses later, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. Andrew added, Messiah will definitely be a king. John the baptizer saw Jesus coming in the distance and was in awe of the presence of the Holy Spirit clearly on his cousin. He kept his eyes on Jesus but answered his two followers, Andrew and John. Yes, he will be a king, but he will also be the final lamb needed to take away the sin of the world. John trailed off, taking a few steps forward and meeting Jesus' gaze. They locked eyes, and Jesus smiled, but kept on walking. John pointed his finger at Jesus and said in a loud voice, Behold, the Lamb of God! Andrew and John quickly turned to see whom John the Baptist was talking about. They had heard him speak of the one who had come to him for baptism, the true one they should follow as Messiah. It was this kind of teaching that had attracted these men and their friends. This man, John the Baptist, wasn't trying to build a religious empire for himself, but was simply preparing the way for the one whom men should truly follow. So, Andrew and John were prepared, ready, at a moment's notice, to follow John the Baptist's lead. Immediately, they ran after Jesus. John the Baptist crossed his arms and nodded his head in approval as his two followers left him. This is how it should be, he thought to himself. They are yours now, Jesus. Jesus heard the two men running up behind him. He turned and stopped. What are you seeking? he asked simply. Andrew and John looked at one another, not sure who should speak first. Uh, teacher? Andrew finally blurted out awkwardly, rubbing his hand on his brown tunic. Uh, where are you staying? John nodded enthusiastically in agreement. Jesus smiled, fully aware these men wanted to know far more than simply Jesus' place of lodging. Come and see. Together, the three men walked across the countryside toward the place where people coming to see John the Baptist stayed. A tiny village of huts and makeshift camel-hair tents was off the main road, a short walk north of where they were. They got to know each other as they walked along. I'm Andrew, son of John, originally from Bethsaida, Andrew started. Ah, so you don't live there now? Jesus asked. No, my brother and I now live in Capernaum, the young man replied, feeling a little more comfortable. We're fishermen. So are we, John interjected. I mean, my brother James and I, we're fishermen too. Fishing is an important job. It feeds many, Jesus affirmed. Do you enjoy it? Andrew shrugged his shoulders. It's hard work, but good work. Simon is the one who handles all the business. I just do what he asks. Jesus looked at John. 
What about you, John? We're sons of a fisherman, so it's a family business, John explained. I do sometimes wish for more in life. When you're doing what you were truly made to do, then work takes on a new meaning, Jesus noted. It becomes your passion. And what is your passion? John asked Jesus. Jesus stopped and put his hand on John's shoulder. To seek and save those who are lost. John glanced at Andrew, and the two men shared a look full of anticipation. John the Baptist told us you were the promised one for whom Israel has waited, Andrew related with growing excitement. He said we should follow you now, John quickly added. John speaks truth, Jesus said. He locked eyes with Andrew and John, and they shared a brief moment of understanding. The fishermen didn't even know how to respond. They were walking down the road with a man who was possibly the promised Messiah, foretold by prophets and expected for hundreds of years by the people of Israel. How could they respond? Suddenly they heard Max barking. Jesus smiled, turned, and pointed to a tent up ahead. Ah, here we are. Jesus led them to the tent where Gilliman sat just outside with a small fire baking more bread. He stood when Jesus, Andrew, and John came up to him. This is where I'm staying. Please, meet my friend, Jesus stopped and said, giving a knowing look at the old man, Gilliman. Shalom. Please sit and I will serve you, Gilliman offered as they gathered around the fire. Thank you, Andrew and John answered in unison, sitting down with Jesus. I see you have many animals, John said as Liz came up to him, purring and rubbing her cheek on his blue tunic. Bonjour, Liz meowed. John smiled and petted her head. Yes, they are my friends, Gilliman answered warmly, handing the men some bread. Al came into the midst of them, batting at the bread. But uh, watch out for this orange one. He'll eat anything in sight. Max and Kate came up, wagging their tails, and sat next to Andrew. Nigel peeked out from Clarice's saddlebag. The animals were excited to witness the beginning of Jesus' ministry with these young men. I say, they don't look like rabbis, Nigel whispered in Clarice's ear as he scurried up onto her head. Remember what Ahura said about Jesus? Clarice whispered. Expect the unexpected. Clarice smiled at seeing herself whispering to Nigel. How well I remember that day. Andrew was the very first disciple to meet Jesus, and he was the one who introduced Peter to him. Indeed, Gilliman replied, touching another panel. Teacher, may I please go get my brother? Andrew asked. I want him to meet you. Of course, Jesus replied. I'll be here until tomorrow. Andrew got up quickly. It can't wait until tomorrow. I'll be right back. He ran off down the road, leaving Jesus there with John and Gilliman. Andrew ran to the tent where he and his brother were staying. There he found Simon lying on his mat with his eyes closed. Simon was a big man with wild curly black hair and dirt all over his deep red tunic. Simon, get up, Andrew said, kicking his brother's foot. Simon opened his eyes and kicked Andrew back forcefully in the shin. What is it? He scowled, scratching his thick black beard. Ow! Andrew rubbed his shin and squatted down next to Simon. We've found Messiah! Simon's scowl turned into a look of surprise. Andrew grabbed his hand and pulled Simon to his feet. Come on, get up! 
Come and see. Do you remember what Jesus told Andrew when he called him to be one of the twelve disciples? Gilliman asked, touching another panel later in time. Andrew, you appreciate the value of a single soul. Jesus smiled and said with his hand on Andrew's shoulder, You pay attention to people and details and were the first to introduce me to your brother Peter. Uh, Nothing escaped Andrew's attention, Clary recounted, smiling at the dear apostle. That's why he was able to spot the little boy with the lunch. Of course, Al helped him. Gilliman chuckled while touching another panel. Al was now climbing all over the little boy, pawing at his knapsack. The boy's face was red from laughing so hard. Andrew squatted down next to them. Hi, Andrew said, pulling Al off the boy. I see you have a lunch there. Uh, With our cat crawling all over you like this, I'll guess you have fish. The little boy sat up and happily opened his pouch. Yes, two fish, and I have some barley loaves, too. He reached in and eagerly grabbed the loaf. Want some? Al meowed, reaching his paw up to the boy. Of course I do. Andrew laughed, placing his hand on the boy's shoulder. No, but I know someone who does. Uh, Can you come with me to see Jesus? Sure, the little boy answered eagerly, standing up. He took Andrew by the hand, and together they walked over to Jesus. Al was trailing along behind, staying close to the boy. Andrew stood behind the little boy and placed his hands on the lad's shoulder. He wore a chagrined look on his face, but offered, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Gilliman's smile faded, and his face grew solemn as he touched a panel much further in time. Peter was reading a letter. Andrew was always faithful to do what Jesus asked, no matter the cost. Tears welled up in Clarie's eyes. I'll never forget that day. To Peter, greetings in Christ. Our Lord prepared us for the troubles we would face as we boldly shared the good news of his saving grace to a hostile world. He never promised us that we, as the bearers of the good news, would be triumphant, only that the gospel itself would be. The enemy seeks our destruction, and to keep us from fulfilling the commands of Jesus to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You were with me when I lost my brother James, early on in Jerusalem, as the first of the twelve to be martyred for Christ. It grieves me to have to now share with you that your brother Andrew has been lost as well. After ministering in the far northern regions of Scythia, He was sentenced to death by the Roman governor of Patras in Achaia. Andrew did not wish to be executed in the same manner as our Lord and requested a different cross. So they bound him with ropes to a decusate, or X-shaped cross. He suffered a prolonged dying process, but ultimately we know he entered paradise with Jesus. I am certain my brother James immediately welcomed your brother Andrew there. Please know that the brothers and sisters here in Ephesus are keeping you lifted in prayer as you receive this difficult news. Stay strong, Peter. May our Lord continue to bless you as you faithfully serve him in Rome. John Peter sank to his knees and let the parchment fall from his hand onto the floor. He wrapped his arms around himself, weeping bitterly. Gilliman lifted his chin and nodded with a resolute smile. 
Andrew's reward was immediate, of course, as he indeed entered paradise. And the work he did was also rewarded here on earth. He touched another panel, some thirteen hundred years later. Scottish warriors, dressed in kilts, were cheering and waving blue flags with white X-shaped crosses. Robert the Bruce, King of Scotland, had just defeated Edward II of England at the Battle of Bannockburn. So Andrew became known as Saint Andrew and was chosen as the patron saint of Scotland. Scotland's flag bears Andrew's X-shaped cross, related Clary, now smiling at the scene of Robert the Bruce celebrating their victory for independence. Max barked happily in the background, running around the proud Scots who petted him as he wagged his tail and congratulated them. Maximilian Braveheart the Bruce was happy that a Bruce became king of Scotland, especially on that victorious day for the Scots. Aye, <laughs> Gilliman agreed with a chuckle, and shortly after that victory came the declaration of Arbroath, proclaiming Scotland's independence from Britain. Of course, it was largely symbolic, but that declaration will have a big impact on Patrick Henry and others in the near future. Clarice's eyes widened. There are so many layers of history happening here, Gilliman. If only the humans realized the thread connecting Andrew, Scotland, and Patrick Henry. Perhaps some of them will. One day, when scribes write of this history, Gilliman replied, "All of." His story is related. Patrick is very much like Andrew. He's a fisherman. He follows Jesus, and nothing escapes his attention. Clarie noted, and one day Patrick will also be the first one to speak up when it matters. Gilliman replied, looking at scenes of celebration in Scotland and Virginia. But for today, his family will join their fellow Scots to celebrate Scotland's national holiday. Saint Andrew's Day. He pointed to a panel showing the town square of Hanover, Virginia. Down from the Hanover courthouse was the old field where people were busily setting up tents, tables laden with food, and areas for contests and horse races. We need to get ready ourselves, Clarie. Shall we? Aye, a fun day awaits us all. Clarie enthused. She spotted John Henry steering the horses that pulled their family wagon. It was full of excited children and baskets of food. But no one will enjoy it more than Patrick, Gilliman said with a smile, putting his hoof into the scene. The wind started to pick up around Clarie and Gilliman, swirling around them with such force that they began to change shape. Don't forget the black case, Clarie shouted above the wind. Gilliman nodded. I have it in hand. After you, little one. In an instant, they were in Virginia, walking down the streets of Hanover. Oh, the iamosphere is such an amazing device. It does a wonderful job of showing all of history in one place. Aye, of course. Only the maker can actually live in all of it at a time. <laughs> Très bien, Max. But it is、uh, fascinating to me. Just how preoccupied humans are with this thing called time. <laughs> Aye, all that talk about the clock gets me ticked. You get ticked about the talk? Aye, I'm talking TikTok. 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 Ding. 
The cookies are done. <laughs> As is this conversation. So let us clock out and make some time for today's edition of Nigel's News Nuggets. Greetings. Nigel P. Monaco here from the newsroom. And as my cohorts mentioned, the keeping of time, the measuring of time, has been a quest of mankind for quite some time. Uh, going all the way back to ancient Egypt, when the movement of the sun was measured by the shadow it cast onto what was known as a sundial. Aye, I've seen them on the Flintstones, too. Oh, mon ami. The Flintstones. Well done, miss. <sighs> Anyway, down through the sands of time, a saying we derive from the well-known hourglass, uh, many types of clocks came and went. The water clock gave way to the mechanical clocks that used weights and then mainsprings. And, of course, the famous inventor and scientist Galileo, who in the late 1500s discovered the pendulum could be used to keep time, much like those we see in those elegant grandfather clocks. Grandfather? Since the 1500s? That'd be more like a great, 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 great grandfather. Max, stop wasting Nigel's time. Yes, thank you, Liz. And of course, without getting ahead of myself, with the harnessing of electricity, which you will hear more about in subsequent episodes, came an inventor named Bain, uh, from merry old England, of course, who invented the electric clock in 1840. Sadly, the electrical wall socket wasn't invented until the late 1800s, and so apparently Mr. Bain's clock um, sat around for 50 years, collecting dust. Eh, uh, now who's wasting time, then? Yes, quite. Well, then, by the 20th century, pocket watches had become all the rage, but in World War I, soldiers needed a clock they could wear, so they could watch the time, whilst keeping both hands free, to do battle with the enemy. Thus, they watched a clock strapped to their wrists, and voila! The wristwatch. Well then, Mossy, riddle me this. How did I become a watchdog? I say, you're a watchdog? I? Well then, tell me, old boy, uh, what time is it now? Well, it'd be, uh, 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 uh... <coughs> ah! Time to wrap up Nigel's news nuggets then! Max, that was so ru. Oh, dear. Oh, look at the time. Um, I'm afraid he is right, mon ami. Eh, uh, quite right, my pet. As for whom doth the bell toll, it doth toll for me. I'm Nigel P. Monaco, in the newsroom. Merci, Nigel. You do such a wonderful job. Aye, for a rookie. Uh, well, he may be new around here, but as Miss Jenny will explain, he has been around for quite some time, no? Miss Jenny? Thanks, Liz. For those of you who tuned in to Season 1 of the podcast that featured the art three in the fire cloud, there's two characters who are new in Season 2, as we're featuring the voice of the revolution in the key, and they are Clary the Lamb and your favorite British mouse, Nigel P. Monaco. Nigel makes his debut in The Dreamer, The Schemer, and The Robe, and he meets Max and Liz and Alan Kate in ancient Egypt on the mission to help Joseph. Well, Nigel's inspiration came from my dear friend in Colonial Williamsburg named Michael P. Monaco. And I had been researching the American Revolution for years, and Michael led the music there in Williamsburg, and he became a dear friend, dear brother in Christ. And so I was getting ready to write this mouse character. And I said, I want his name to be Nigel, 
but I loved Michael's name. Michael P. Monaco, it just rolls off the tongue. And so I said, Michael, can I borrow your name? It's for a British mouse. And he said, absolutely you can. And he says, you will not believe what my nickname was as a kid. You want to guess? Mousy. <laughs> yeah, so like meant to be. You can actually see a video of Michael and I sharing this story on my website, epicorderoftheseven.com, under the dreamer, the schemer, and the robe book, where we talk about this. So you can see who inspired Nigel. And as Michael started taking flying lessons, I said, well, now I've got to make Nigel fly. And so with book three, Nigel started flying on carrier pigeons. And so that was an easy way for him to get around from one scene or one place to the next. And as you'll see in The Voice of the Revolution and the Key, Nigel chooses a different mode of transportation, but you have to wait and see about that. Ah, right you are, Miss Jenny. Don't give it away too soon. Well done. And thanks ever so much for the kind words. It is truly my honor to be one-seventh of the epic order of the seven. <laughs> one-seventh? Well, apparently we're not measuring by weight then, eh? Of course, if we did... That would be at least 50%. Max, stop it. <laughs> and Nigel, I agree with Miss Jenny. It is magnifique to have you with us. Well, much obliged, my pet. Uh, well then, uh, shall we close up shop? What? Uh, pray tell, old chap, uh, what shall we expect in our next episode? <laughs> Are you kidding? Why, nothing but wild, zany, and madcap adventure, that's what. <laughs> okay, monsieur, put the chocolate away and dial it back just a little bit, s'il vous plaît. Well, I mean, we are going to have a lot of fun because we're all invited to a big celebration, 1743 style. For we are going to go from meeting Andrew from Bible Times this week to a festival named in his honor, the St. Andrew's Day Celebration in Hanover, Virginia. And by the way, I got half-price tickets for all of you. Half-price of what? Uh, pay no attention, Mosey. Ha! Nice try, wise guy. We animals get in for free. As does everyone else, monsieur. I, I was just kidding. It, it was a joke. I'll say. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandi! A bientôt, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.